Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with uh, Bernie taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps always welcome to the programme 0862 103 103. Anything you want to get off your chest or talk to us about, please make uh, contact. Rather nice weather forecast for us for today. Uh, There should be lots of uh, sunshine and it's kind of a mixed bag then as we head uh, through the week. But according to Met Aaron, it is next week that we are really in for very, very warm uh, weather, with Met Aaron saying that temperatures early next week could actually reach 30 degrees in some uh, areas. Now, yesterday was a cooler day and there was patchy drizzle and we even had one listener said that they were delighted to see the bit of rain in Cork um, in, in, down in West Cork and saying that the gardens need it and it's actually good for us to have kind of a mixed bag, not have it too hot, not have it too wet, get it somewhere in between. And thankfully, the rain remembered to stop uh, yesterday. Uh, so while it was kind of mixed yesterday, temperatures still uh, were high. They were in and hovering around 23 degrees Celsius in most areas and today again similar 22, 23 degrees and it's going to be much the same for the rest of this week but it's as we come out of this week and head into the weekend, Sunday and Monday in particular there's going to be plenty of dry sunny weather but it is the temperatures that are going to get very high. Met Erin are predicting that the daytime maximum temperatures will be in the high 20s and in some parts of the country Sunday into Monday they could uh, even peak at 30 degrees and at this stage it's looking like that fine weather is going to continue into next week and of course uh, while we're experiencing this nice weather here in this country look across at the rest of Europe they are now on the cusp of a heat wave which temperatures are going to go well above 40 degrees in France and in Germany and the south of Spain there's a lot of focus on the south of Spain they reckon temperatures there could approach 50 degrees Celsius for some days next week and climatologists are saying we are more likely to see these events occurring into the future and of course they're saying it is all down to uh, climate uh, change. I mean Italy has recently endured a prolonged heat wave and they are initially they are experiencing their worst drought 
in 70 years. And Portugal's government, they're on a state of alert due to the heightened risk of wildfires. So uh, anyone heading away this weekend on holidays are certainly in for a scorcher if you're going anywhere across Europe 0818103103 we will be speaking in a couple of minutes about the just amazing images that were released from the James Webb Space Telescope by uh, NASA and it shows the deepest and the sharpest infrared pictures of the universe that we have ever seen to date and I was going through some of the images yesterday they truly truly are breathtaking so we're going to find out what all this means what we can learn from it and what more can we expect from this amazing uh, telescope also going to be talking about electric cars on the programme this morning and tying it in with the high cost of fuel actually the Irish Daily Mail today are running with a front page uh, story that there's a bit of panic buying going on and of course lots of calls for the government to, to bring in further cuts to that and the Daily Mail's story is to do with some garages around the country uh, yesterday and over the last few days have started to sell petrol and diesel at 1.99 just under the two litre two euro a litre mark and it includes sta- petrol stations here in Cork in Monaghan and in Carlo and according to the Mail wherever petrol and diesel was on sale at under the two euro mark yesterday. There was actually queues. People were queuing up to get in to try to get their fill, which is showing as well that people are keeping an eye on the price at petrol stations. I mean, certainly the one we were hearing about was the petrol station in Rathcormac. That seemed to be, certainly it was the first one we heard about that went to 199.9. If you see any others below the two litre mark, let us know. So the two euro a litre so that we can let other listeners know to make sure that if they're passing and that they need to get petrol or diesel that they can um, uh, pull in. But of course, huge calls on the government to say, come on guys, can you do something else uh, for us? The government, remember, it takes about one euro per litre on every litre of petrol and diesel that we uh, purchase and they make the exchequer the government would say it's not them it all goes into the coffers but the exchequer makes a lot of money when you look at what they take in in excise duty and VAT on fuel for example they they took in six billion euro in fuel duty in Uh, 2022 so far that's what they've taken in and for the whole of 2020 they took in 2 billion so they've already gone way over what they've taken in in previous years could they do something to help looking at those figures you would think that they could and they should 0818 103 103 the TV licence is very much back in the news and it's been getting a lot of coverage over the last uh, few days and I'm reading reports from the papers today that revenue the, the local property tax you know the one that's collected by revenue a, a tax that a lot of people don't like paying they feel they've already paid for their house why are they suddenly now paying a tax just to live in it but anyway uh, people have to pay their local property tax and the fact that revenue collected could have a lot to do with the fact that there is very high compliance with the payment of the local property tax but obviously revenue therefore have a database of all the homes in the country that either pay local property tax or have deferred their local property tax and there's now talks that they that that could be used 
to target TV licence fee evaders. Now, the government have rejected proposals to abolish the TV licence. We pay €160 every year in a TV licence and there was a call from a commission that was set up and they recommended that we scrap the TV licence completely. And ministers had instead been uh, asked, have asked officials to examine ways to develop a new and more comprehensive register by potentially leveraging the existing national databases that are there of householders, including the one by revenue for the local property tax and then there's also one called the Geo Directory which is operated by Unpost, an Ordnance Survey Ireland. So the ministers are saying take a look, let's find out all the houses that are in the country and work out who's paying a TV licence and who is not. Now a new cross department technical group due to report to the media minister, that's Catherine Martin in November, will look at new enforcement measures. It will establish whether the licence fee should apply to the household as opposed to a household that owns a TV. Back in the day, that's the way it was. If you had a TV, well, it still is the way it is. If there's a TV in the house, then you must have, you have to pay a TV licence, whether you say you watch RTE or not. So they're looking now at saying, should the licence TV licence be on the household as opposed to being on the TV uh, in it Uh, and that therefore then would raise the prospect that anyone that watches TV on a mobile phone or on a tablet that they then would be charged a couldn't call it a TV licence fee you'd call it a licence fee the cabinet were told yesterday that on Post's licence fee database is based on an archaic technology and it therefore it's significantly out of date. So the coalition rejected the Future of Media's commission proposal to scrap the TV licence fee and instead to give funding and derive that funding from general taxation. So take the money out of the exchequer to fund the likes of RTE and to do that by uh, 2024. But there was concerns that future governments then could cut the funding if they didn't like the coverage that they were getting. Now, the evasion rate, if you pay your TV licence, all well and good. If you don't pay your TV licence, then you're in a group. They reckon that the people who don't pay TV licence, who should be paying a TV licence, runs to about 15%. Because of that, RTE estimates they lose €65 million euro a year, every year, by people not paying their TV uh, licence. However, ministers were told that even reforming the licence fee may not generate the level of public service broadcasting funding which has been recommended by this commission. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin says it would be dangerous for democracy if funding was down to an annual budget and a decision made by whoever is in power at the time. He said some EU governments were now directly influencing to an unhealthy degree media outlets. Replacing the fee with exchequer funding would, of course, cost the exchequer and taxpayers about €300 million a year. And Micheál Martin says that wasn't realistic, particularly in the current fiscal uh, climate. The Cabinet was told that Ireland, we are one of only a few countries that actually still operates a licence model which is limited to ownership of a TV set and evasion rates are higher than in many other European jurisdictions. 
One of the commission members is Storyful founder and, and indeed a former RT broadcaster, Mark Little. He criticised the government's rejected, rejection of the funding recommendation. He says, trying to better enforce the licence fee is a recipe for public resentment of public media. And I think he's got a point there because if people are forced, if people have been evading paying their TV licence and then get forced uh, to pay it, you get the argument which you get from people who already pay their TV licence. A number of people, we would hear it here on the programme, feel that they don't get good value for money, that they have to pay this €160 a year, even though they never watch any of the Irish terrestrial base uh, TVs and certainly don't watch RTE, who get the bulk of the money. And people get very, very annoyed about it and how often have I read texts out from people when they're talking about there was nothing on the TV and to all you're getting on RTE are repeats and people get really frustrated about too many repeats being showing, shown and the, the text will inevitably end with the comment and we pay our licence fee for that. So anyway, the, the, but the, the, the news is they're not going to abolish the licence fee but what they're going to try and do and that it doesn't even look like they're going to reduce the cost of the licence fee but I suppose to make it fairer for the majority of people who do pay they're going to try and go after and target the people who are not paying a TV licence and the argument that you don't have a TV in your house anymore won't float if they put this in place whereby the licence fee is on the house as opposed to you owning a TV, an actual TV set. And it does seem a very archaic way to have done it because so many people now may not have a TV set at all, but that doesn't mean that they're not watching TV. You can watch it now on your phone and on tablet, on a computer, so many different ways to watch it. It doesn't have to be watched on, on an old-fashioned TV set. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And as I was making the point about the TV licence and how people give out about having to pay the TV licence and what did we get for the €160 a year, Joe Inkilmalik says RTE is nothing but repeats. We're not getting value uh, for money from them. The exact point that we hear any time I mention the TV licence. Thanks for your call, Joe. And Peter and Kilworth was on to say he heard me talk about how warm uh, this heat wave that is extending across Europe and clim- climatologists are putting it down to a global warming. Uh, Peter says in Kilworth, it's interesting to note that Antarctica had its coldest winter since 1957. It was minus 78 degrees. So is that down to climate change? Is it global warming in a reverse? And I checked out what Peter said in and he is he is right they did have uh, one of their coldest uh, in uh, in coldest winters in Antarctica but a professor in atmospheric scientist science at the University of Washington a gentleman by the name of Eric Stig said one cold winter is interesting but it doesn't change the long term trend which is that the, that we are facing global warming and he said in the long term Antarctica like the rest of the world is warming but the danger with Antarctica is it is rapidly losing sea ice and then of course the problem is um, for the depletion of the ozone uh, layer. Thank you for your call, uh, Peter. Oh, by the way, Bantry General Hospital were on to us and in fairness to them, they said they would get on to us on a weekly basis and they have 
This is considering the high inpatient levels of COVID-19. They've taken the difficult decision to continue with the visiting restrictions in order to protect the patients, their relatives and their staff. Visiting at the main hospital in Bantry is facilitated on compassionate grounds only and that must be agreed by the ward manager and the relevant consultant in advance of uh, visiting. And all visiting arrangements are reviewed weekly so they'll be back on to us again next uh, week in Bantry Gen- General Hospital. Very much empathise with and they understand that the announcement will make it difficult for many families. However, their priority is to continue to keep everybody that's in the hospital safe while in the care of Bantry General Hospital, as well as maintain the safety and the well-being of the staff. And they want to extend a sincere thank you to the public's cooperation with these arrangements. So that's the visitor restrictions remaining in place for another week at Bantry General Hospital. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Stunning photos taken by the James Webb Space Telescope has led NASA to say we're just getting started with new discoveries in the universe. To discuss what was seen from space, I'm joined by David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. Good morning to you, David. Good morning. You're very welcome. Truly astonishing uh, images. What can we learn from what we're getting back from this telescope? And these are just the first images of probably 20 years worth that we're expecting. And they are stunning. Exceeded my wildest expectations. There was so much that could have gone wrong with this mission. It's a million miles away from the Earth, not like the Hubble Space Telescope. And it turns out it's about a hundred times more powerful. It's, it's photographed the early universe already. It took Hubble decades before they got around to doing that. And it took it nearly a month to collect all the light. One of the scientists said they did this one just before breakfast. <laughs> so it's going to revolutionize our understanding. These are just the very first images. They, you know, they're getting to learn how to process all the images coming back from this telescope. So if this is anything to go by, uh, we're in for an amazing treat. In, in Astronomy Island magazine, every month for the last decades, we've had a Hubble Space Telescope page. We were wondering, would we need a James Webb Space Telescope page? I think we're going to need more than that. <laughs> we can't wait to see what it discovers. Yeah, and anyone I heard uh, that has an interest or uh, is working in the world of um, astrology, um, da- uh, David, astronomy, I, it just seemed like all their Christmases came together yesterday. Absolutely, it did. Because, you know, this telescope's been way over budget, way overdue, 20 years, $10 billion. There's Irish involvement as well, by the way. Uh, We have one of the Irish scientists speaking on Monday. If I uh, I go to our website, you'll see the details. It's a public event. Uh, So, so much could have gone wrong because it's too big to fit into any rocket we have. It had to be folded up. It needs this giant tennis court sized sun shield because it sees an infrared light and it can't have the heat or light of the sun shining on it uh, if it's to look out into deep space. And there's uh, hundreds of little motors that move everything into place. If just one of them had gone wrong, it could have ruined the whole mission. And we were all very nervous that all the eggs were being put in one basket, $10 billion and maybe a little motor costing a few dollars fails and the whole thing is unusable. So we saw some early engineering images showing that it unfurled properly. It was able to focus perfectly. And now they've been able to gather these images. So a huge sigh of relief. And then 
the stunning images themselves. Uh, they're better than the Hubble Space Telescope. We've definitely got its successor. And you can probably tell we're all very excited what the future holds. <laughs> Would you describe this telescope as one of our greatest engineering feats of our time? It certainly is now, yes. I mean, it's amazing. I talked to some of the engineers because there's Irish involvement. There have been some conferences of the 10,000 scientists in Ireland. And I spoke to some of them, including the people that are building the actual telescope, one of the main contractors. And I said to them about how so much could go wrong. And I was almost bracing myself for bad news. You may remember with the Hubble Space Telescope, once they got it operational, they found out the mirror had been made to the wrong shape. Now, they were able to correct that by putting spectacles effectively on it. Uh, but you can't do that with a James Webb Space Telescope. Hubble is just above the Earth, so shuttles can get up to it. James Webb is a million miles from the Earth, so there's no way any manned spacecraft can get out there. It had to work first time, and it did. Yeah. Who, by the way, who was James Webb, who the telescope is named after? Uh, yes, he was an early NASA administrator. The current one is Bill Nelson, an astronaut himself who spoke uh, over the last couple of days at, at great length about the telescope. You can see how excited he was. But James Webb was around in the 60s, and he was responsible really for keeping the Apollo program going and getting NASA to the moon. So they've commemorated his sort of backroom work. He wasn't a prominent scientist. Uh, he just got on with the work, made sure that the mission went through. I mean, they spent 5% of the federal budget on Admittedly, it was a space race for the Soviet Union at the time. Uh, NASA would love that kind of budget now. So they want to commemorate someone who did so much. Probably he's the man that put NASA on the map. Mm -hmm. And for his family, and for, uh, but I take it he's no longer with us, is he? No, no, no. no. For his fa for his family, fantastic to have it uh, named after him. And I know you're going to have people, uh, David, and including people listening to this programme, when they hear you say 10 billion, you'll have people say, what a waste of money with everything that's going on in the world. How do you justify that kind of spend on a telescope like this? It's very easy. One thing that NASA do, and we're, we're Ireland's a part of the European Space Agency, and we spend tens of millions of Irish taxpayers' money on our involvement in the European Space Agency every year. And the reason why that's good, should probably be increased, is that that money gets ploughed back into your economy. And the scientists and engineers who work on this, they go on to do other projects in the aerospace industry. We all fly around the world. So if you don't like uh, your holidays taking four hours to get to the Canary Islands, try swimming instead. <laughs> uh, all this feeds back into your economy. And NASA and other space agents have done studies. And depending which study you listen to, they'll say for every one dollar of taxpayers money you put in, you'll get three to seven of the kind of dollars I've heard back into your economy, you end up with a workforce that's extremely highly trained. Uh, the main thing I think we can tell people is they're probably all carrying a smartphone. It's got billions of transistors in it, and they were produced to miniaturize the, the computers that were going up into space for the Apollo program. Back to James Webb again. And you end up with spin-offs like that that you never even knew that you needed. So this idea of basic science and spending $10 billion. Now, in the American budget, what's their GDP? $20 billion or something mm -hmm. like that over 20 years. That is next to nothing. It is a tiny drop in the ocean. And the spin-offs are there are hundreds of thousands of engineers and scientists around the world who are better off for it. The American economy booms because of things like this. Uh, the Powers that be are aware that the more money you spend on basic research, the more likely your economy, the Western economy anyway, is to succeed. And that's just the financial side. 
what about the fact that, you know, if we're, go if we're going to be alive, don't we want to know where we came from? Don't we want to know what's out there? Today, we can tell kids in school, chapter and verse about the tiny particles that make us up, how it all came into being. If they want to get really involved in the science, they can want to careers where they build trillion dollar industries like the electronics industry space is roughly a trillion dollar industry it's expected to expand and i could go on a great yeah and so, yeah, and so it's it's a lot more yeah it's a lot more than just yeah. sending these uh, these astonishing images uh, back i think everybody's jaw just dropped what, what we were looking at uh, yesterday so you say for the next 20 years is it we can expect to see so many more of these images Yes, all going well. It's a completely automated telescope. Let's hope nothing goes wrong. Uh, we'll be getting decades of pictures back uh, from this telescope. Uh, I mentioned actually the public lecture on Monday night. Uh, we do want people to listen to Dr. Patrick Kavanagh. Uh, him and Tom Ray at the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies have worked on this telescope silently in the background over decades. I haven't spoken to them yet. We're putting together a big feature article for our own magazine for going out next week. And we'll be getting all of his comments, but we'll also be listening to him live, explaining them from an Irish perspective. He worked on the camera that took those photographs that we all saw. So they're Irish photographs, you could argue. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> we want it's people brilliant. to enjoy them. So people can go onto your website, Astronomy Ireland. Yeah, astronomy.ie. And do join Astronomy Ireland. It's the world's most popular astronomy club. There's a fantastic magazine every month. An email goes out every week. Lots of other events running. A huge star party coming up next month in August. There's going to be shooting stars, the planet Mars coming close, even an eclipse in October. There are evening classes you can do online. It's a very vibrant organization with thousands of people as paid up members and about 100,000 people in Ireland who follow us on social media and email lists and the like. So, you know, space is the future. Get involved now. You've just seen what James Webb can do. And we're certainly going to be featuring the Irish involvement of all of these stories that you hear about internationally. There's always somebody in Ireland working on it as well. And from NASA to closer to home, um, Sky Spotters hoping for cloudless conditions tonight, isn't it? Over the next few nights, there's yeah. a, a supermoon. That's one of the things we wrote about in the current issue of Astronomy Island magazine, the supermoon. This is a moon that comes closer to the Earth than normal. Uh, it'll happen this time four times this year. So every every year or two, we'll get a group of these supermoons because the moon's orbit is not perfectly round. It's a little bit egg-shaped and, and we're displaced to one side of that egg. So there's a point in the moon's orbit where it gets 15% closer than it does at other times. And if that happens when the moon is full, then you get this moon that's 15% wider. But that also means its area and its brightness is 30% higher. So it's a slightly bigger, slightly brighter full moon. And when it rises, you'll get to see a thing called the moon illusion as well, which can make it look even bigger. So you've got a, an actually bigger moon with an optical illusion <laughs> causing uh, uh, the moon to look even bigger. So we want people to be out watching the moon rise. From Ireland uh, tonight, it's around about half 10. You might need to give it a half an hour if you've got trees or something on the horizon to get up. So half 10 to say half 11 for sure, you'll see this beautiful moon rising. And if you miss it tonight for any reason, it'll actually look almost as good tomorrow night. And it was actually almost as good 
last night and I took some photographs of this super moon rising. So we want everyone to get out and watch that because you only need the naked eye to see the full moon. The super moon. It's actually called the book moon. The July moon is always called the book moon. It just happens to be a super moon this year. Okay. And as you say, more on astronomy.ie. Always a pleasure to talk to you, David. Thank you for that and continue to enjoy watching those stunning pictures from the James Webb oh, Space Telescope. Will. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good Thank morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. A new survey by the AA in Ireland shows that 34% of motorists have or would switch to an electric vehicle due to the rising fuel costs. Chat about the survey. I'm joined by Paddy Common of the AA. Good morning, you, Paddy. Good morning. Uh, How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Now, no surprise uh, to hear that people would switch due to rising fuel costs. But did many say that they would move to an electric car for the environmental reasons? Well, just less, just 1% less. So it was about 33%, as opposed to 34%, he said, because of fuel. So so the, the primary reason for people, from certainly from this survey, is that people are want to move for cost reasons because of the price of fuel. Now, obviously, electric cars are a little bit more expensive, um, uh, but they are starting to come down. Availability is an awful lot better. I did a tally the other day of how many electric cars there were on sale at the moment. There's actually 57 different electric vehicles on sale at the moment. So that's quite a large number. Um, but yeah, primarily people are starting to now look with more urgency because of the the, the huge price of fuel. And did anybody give reasons uh, as to why they'd be nervous about switching to electric? Yeah, look, it's still the, the same old reasons in terms of uh, worrying about the infrastructure across the country and worrying and obviously about range, worrying about availability of um, of different types of cars. Now, as I said there, the availability now is, is very, very good. You're starting to see lots of them. The availability in terms of when you can get one, though, is, isn't so good. The delivery times are very, very poor at the moment because of um, a sort of a global shortage of semiconductors, which is affecting the car industry. But but people are still a little bit worried about so-called range anxiety. That's, that should be less of a thing now. Most of the, the EVs will do north of 300 400 kilometers on a, on a full charge, which is plenty. And the charging point network isn't wonderful, but it is, um, it is. you know, we would always say that you're better off charging at home anyway because that's where you get the cheapest electricity. Yeah, but I, I certainly have just anecdotally noticed I'm seeing more charge points when, when I'm out. And I'm, I was in a hotel at the weekend and, the, you know, right outside the front door, there was two charge points. And then I stopped off in, in an area to do some shopping. And in the shopping centre, there was a bank of three or four uh, places to charge a car. So there, so it, 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 definitely more of them starting to pop up. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the thing about those charging points, they would be the slower charging points. And it does make sense for businesses, hotels and the like to put them in because obviously people will be drawn to those if they have an electric vehicle. What we're not so great on is the availability of uh, fast chargers across the, the country. Now, we do have them, but uh, with the increase, you know, the, we've sold double the amount of electric vehicles as we did last year. So more and more people, if they're crossing the country, going from Dublin to Cork, Galway, etc., they they want to charge. And, and certainly Cork hasn't been 
the greatest place for, for electric vehicles. I, I drive to Cork quite a lot and, and the charging network down there isn't wonderful. But um, we do know that there's going to be a, a new charging hub in Fermoy um, at the Circle K there. So that will be very, very welcome too. Yeah, especially for people using the, the motorway. The government's target, Paddy, of one million electric, electric vehicles by 2030. I mean, is it fair to say that that's simply not achievable at this stage? We're, you know, we're at 2022. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think many people and commentators, when they when they saw that, sort of scoffed at it. But, um, but look, it, it, at least it's starting to look a little bit more of a reality than it was. No, we won't. The short answer is no, we won't reach those numbers. But then, um, we we might not be we might not be too far off if supply gets better, uh, and obviously dependent on whether the government continue with its grants, which are very generous for us in Ireland. We have really generous grants compared to other countries in Europe. So, um, but but obviously we pay in, in other areas. But well, for, at the moment, while electric cars are expensive, there won't be a better time in terms of grants available. Yeah, somebody's asking uh, how soon can Paddy see them coming down to a realistic level for a family to be able to purchase an EV? Yeah, it, it really. It, I would say another twenty-four months. Really, we'll, we'll start to see. Um, greater availability, which will you know increase competition, and then as battery technology gets better, you'll also see changes. So uh, you know the battery is the main bulk of the price of an electric vehicle, really, but that's starting to to come down. But yeah, you know cars are electric cars are expensive, but then you have to remember now that the running costs of them over the, the course of the, of the three, you four, get five, your money years back. Yeah, well, yeah. Not, we're not there yet, but it's heading that direction. What about what what about hybrid cars? Are they a popular choice? Hybrid are hugely popular in Ireland. Obviously, Toyota, you know, have been leading the charge with that. Um, pardon the pun, but with an electric, with a hybrid vehicle, it really takes away some of the worries that people might have about using, um, you know, pl- plugging in. Now, the, the hybrids are, you know, it's it, it's not really a, it's a bit of a stretch to say that they're electric vehicles. They're sort of slightly electrified, and that the the you know, depending on the different hybrid you get some normal hybrids like the ones that Toyota would do the series hybrids so they're called really just help with the with the economy whereas if you get into something like a plug-in hybrid it has a big battery like a like the kind you'd find in an electric vehicle and that will you know drive 40 50 kilometers just on electric power alone so um for for some people who just aren't ready to go into an EV the hybrid makes a good stepping stone towards that William in West Cork uh, says that we've there's been talks of power cuts for the year is out. What good would your electric car be then? Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, if if we forget to that stage, we probably have greater issues in terms of uh, fuel as well because, um, you know, if if we're da- if we're down to electricity problems, we're also probably going to be in. Uh, in trouble with fuel supply as well, so we're not there yet. Yeah. In, in either we'd, case, we'd probably have fuel rationing at the same time. So yeah, that's it, a, that's it, a valid point. Yeah, look, it is something that the government have looked at. Those those plans are in place for fuel rationing. Should it happen, I don't want to worry anyone by saying it's going to happen. But um, you know, with the situation in Ukraine, with volatility, there is you know Ireland is an island nation, and our fuel is stored just off the coast of Cork. So um, we would have, you know, if in the event of there being difficulties, yes, the, you would be in a situation where rationing it. But, but we're nowhere near that yet. Please don't. Okay, and please God, please God, it won't happen. On the cost of fuel, I can't have you on, Paddy, from the AA without talking about uh, the cost of fuel. 
uh, any signs that fuel costs are coming down? And 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 one of the main reasons I ask you is we have a we've had some garages in Cork have just gone under the two euro a litre mark. Not all of them, but some of them had, and there was great excitement at petrol and diesel. Did I ever think I'd see the day that people would get excited at petrol and diesel at at one ninety nine point nine? But uh, is there any is that a sign that it's starting to come down? Short answer is no. Unfortunately, I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, we've seen the the prices, and I think it was. Uh, I'm not sure where in Cork it was, um, but it was. Uh, I think it was, but certainly, those retailers are not making any money on that fuel. Now, the the, the price of the wholesale price did dip slightly, but it's coming back up again. Price of a barrel of oil is quite low at the moment. It's a hundred dollars a barrel, which is well, not relatively low to where we were. It was up towards 120. But no, I wouldn't get too excited about that. I think those retailers would tell you that they are getting people in to make money off breakfast rolls, coffee, sausages, whatever else, because they're not making much off that fuel. But if you see, if you pass any garage that is doing 199.9, get in and fill up if you can. Get in, yeah, absolutely. Look, as a consumer, you have to strike while the iron is hotter. Whatever you want to say that, but yeah, because it's it's going to go up again. So I think if you see in those prices, fill up and then look, you know, buy yourself an ice cream when you're in there. Do you believe the government could be doing more? Of course, yeah. I mean, the government are making 25 million euro more on VAT on fuel currently than they were uh, last year. So they're making an awful lot more money than they expected. And um, they would say, they would counter that they can't touch VAT, but there are some more, they can do a little bit more in duty. And, and really, you know, from a slightly other uh, stream, they could do more to improve rural public transport because you know, I'd imagine some of your listeners are saying, right, yeah, well, very well if you're in Dublin and you can jump on a Lewis or a Dart or whatever. But where I live, there isn't a bus service or if there is, it's very poor. So if we want people out of cars, just give them an alternative because it doesn't exist currently. Yeah, because I know we recently spoke about the Grant Thornton report, which, you know, were fo- focused on people on low incomes who live in rural areas disproportionately more affected uh, by fuel uh, increases. And then yesterday I spoke with the Haulage uh, Association. I mean, their costs are up by 30 percent. That's just since the start of this year. And that's directly leading to rises in the cost of living. Fuel costs impact more, you know, when the fuel goes up, it impacts us more than just the filling up the family car, doesn't it? When we've got the haulage industry saying that they are struggling. Of course it does. And look, just to give you another stat, the average person listening to you runs a family car spending €777 more on petrol than they were this time last year, 42% more. And that, and it's significantly more when you compare it to two years ago. So they, so everyone is squeezed at the moment in terms of, you know, buying your shopping, groceries, gas prices, etc. But um, petrol, you know, it, it's if, if the government was able to give a proper alternative or reduce the price of public transport a little bit more, um, and, you know, certainly employers can do that bit as well by continuing to encourage people to work from home because the, you know commuting does affect people but just for some people there are still people who just can't not use their car their carers or their, or their essential workers etc and they just have to be in their car there's no public transport alternative they have no choice okay listen uh, Paddy thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme
Take care. Bye-bye. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Paddy Cummins of the AA. And I noted the last night the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, when he was speaking on uh, primetime, has warned that the cost of living crisis could last uh, at least into the spring of next year. With this gorgeous warm weather that we are experiencing and expected to get even hotter across the weekend and into next week. Can I remind you, the C103's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back and we're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen into the Back Garden Festival by going to our app or you can go to c103.ie. Some of your texts coming in on issues we have been discussing in the last hour where we were talking about electric cars and one of our listeners is worried about if you did switch to an electric car with the threat of all of these power cuts and the government warning that there could be power cuts as we go into the winter. What would happen then with your electric car? Uh, Michael says you don't have to worry about power cuts for the winter. Should the Sinn Féin party will probably be asking the government for a generator for every household and uh, Michael not a fan of Sinn Féin and says Patricia we appear to be very short on commentary on the vote of no confidence in the government uh, this morning had it been successful you would have had every member and aspiring Sinn Féin members would have been on the airwaves in overload what a waste of time and public money having that vote yesterday evening it proves the immaturity of the party after all Michael feels they're only rookies in politics no ministerial experience my god what would the country be like with a government led by uh, Sinn uh, Féin uh, well if you're looking at the opinion polls Michael and if there was a general election in the morning it would be looking like it would be a party led by Sinn Féin I did see uh, Michael Martin when he was asked last night about the vote of no confidence which of course was won by uh, the government Michael Martin says he firmly believed that the public didn't want a general election and of course the big worry would be if they had if the Sinn Féin motion had succeeded last night and we were talking about a general election uh, today you know, Martin was saying the cost of living uh, package that wouldn't be put in place and we certainly wouldn't have been having the budget at the end of uh, September so he feels for that for those reasons uh, that nobody uh, wants to actually have a, a general election thanks for your comments Michael we were this is on David Moore and those amazing photographs coming from the the telescope from uh, NASA. Uh, this is from a West Cork listener. Hi, Patricia. I hear you talking to David Moore from Astronomy Ireland. Just a question. How can a machine or an engine from Earth travel one million miles into space without refuelling? And we're told it will stay there for a considerable period of time without the need to refuel. I can't get... 300 kilometres without refueling. What is their secret? I have no idea of the science behind how that telescope got into space. I was trying my best just to even look at the photographs try to get an understanding of what all the scientists were so excited about. I just looked at these photographs and thought they were just uh, astonishing, stunning, stunning uh, photographs. Would it be solar power? I don't know. I I literally don't know. And, And I think if I even was to sit a scientist down and he explained, I probably still wouldn't wouldn't know. I do know that it, it will stay in, in space for 20 years. They're expecting 20 years worth of uh, tra- photographs coming back for the next 20 years from this particular uh, telescope. Thank you for your uh, text. 
also oh just this is from my another Michael thank you Michael for this to say Patricia just to warn people uh, and others I have received two scam texts which he sent me on copies of yesterday evening they were about 45 minutes apart they seem to be getting more frequent says uh, Michael the first one was from purporting to be from on post money saying your account has been placed under immediate review to avoid suspension, please visit. You have to click on a sign as the site and verify now. And of course, that's where the scammers get you. And then 45 minutes later to the same phone number. This time it's purporting to be from AIB. God, Michael, you've got a lot of bank accounts there, haven't you? And this one says your card has been placed on hold due to unusual activity. Please visit. And it's purporting to be an AIB website. Of course, it isn't. And follow the steps uh, provided. But I think a lot of people are starting to realise they're just annoying, just completely delete those uh, scams. But there's there, there seems to be more and more of them at the moment. And of course, all they need to do is a tiny proportion of people click on them. And you would be surprised. I know we hear it on our Guard the File every week. You would be surprised that people still get fooled by some of these uh, text messages. I think the majority of us absolutely know now that they are scams and would never click on the link if you need to contact your bank you contact your bank through a phone number that you know is genuinely the bank or through an email account that you genuinely know is the bank but you certainly never ever ever click on a link that is sent to you uh, like that thank you for sending those on to us Michael anybody offer advice to this listener please it says don't mention my name that's fine hi Patricia with windows and doors open with the fine weather I seem to have an influx of flies I sweep the floors, I wash down the work surfaces, I'm changing the cloths at least three times a day. Can anyone give me ideas on how to get rid of this abundance of flies? By the way, for fear somebody rings in and says it, my bins are well away from the windows and doors. So it isn't because if you go anywhere near your bins, they do attract the flies. But a lot of flies coming in to the house and we all love to have the windows and doors open at the moment. But this listener just getting uh, plagued by flies. Anyone, any suggestions on how to get rid of it? I mean, the one thing I, I would think of straight away, but I don't know if I, if I particularly like them. You know, the, and I don't even know if you can still get them. Do you know the fly papers where you want, you roll them down and hang them out from this somewhere in the ceiling, and they the flies stick to them. They're pretty disgusting. Then when you have to take them down. Are they still on sale and do they work? Would that be a possibility? I'd be loath to say get fly spray because I don't like the idea of spraying anything, particularly in your kitchen. You seem to be doing everything right and obsessively cleaning to try to because of course obviously when the flies land on things you're straight away thinking oh my god are they carrying disease because we do know that they carry disease it is very much part and parcel with the warm weather that we're having at the moment but you do seem to have an excessive amount of them I don't know why you seem to have an an excessive amount of them I mean I had two I think in the kitchen yesterday and they're just the most annoying things everywhere you seem to go the fly seems to to be there they eventually went back out the back door and they and they were gone uh, but anyway suggestions please for our listener because I'm sure she's not on her own when she's having a problem with flies at the moment and it is definitely down to all of the warm weather that we are experiencing and it's one of the things that we sort of have to put up with in the summertime particularly when you want to have doors and windows open and there's nothing lovelier than having a nice breeze come in through the back door 0818 103 103 if anybody has suggestions please 
please for our listener and then hi Patricia this is in relation to me talking about the TV licence and there had been a push and a call from this commission that was set up to look at the TV licence there was a call from them I think they made 50 recommendations 49 of which have been accepted by the government but the one that hasn't been accepted by the government is the one whereby they'd scrapped the TV licence and instead the money would come from the exchequer so that would come out of the taxpayer but nobody then would pay a TV licence you would pay for it by indirect taxes instead but the government have said no they don't like the idea of our national broadcaster being funded by a government and the funding for it would be dependent on any future government and you know the point was made if a future government didn't like what the national broadcaster was saying about them, then they might decide to cut their funding the following year and they said that they don't want to go down that route. So they're leaving the TV licence in place and instead they're going to target how they can get the people who don't pay the TV licence go after them instead. That's prompted listenership. Just I can't understand how people are paying all these bills at the moment. When it comes to the TV licence, Irish, the Irish TV seems to be just full of repeats. Some of the programmes, one and two years old. I feel it might be better if we paid a one-off payment per year for everything which would include the TV licence and, say, the local property tax. There was a talk at one stage of bringing in just a, a one a household charge which would cover the local property tax and the TV licence, but they seem to have done away with that suggestion. Anyway, this listener says, as to paying the local property tax every year, I want to know what do we get for the local property tax? Does it cover anything? I thought when it was introduced that we would be able to avail, our local area would be able to avail of the money collected through the LPT in that the areas would be kept clean, the grass would be cut, etc. I end up paying an extra charge per year just to get the grass cut in my estate. That can be anything from an extra €40 to an extra €50 per year. Surely with all our young people on their summer holidays at the moment, is that not something that they could be doing to help out in their local communities? Wouldn't they learn a lot and wouldn't it give them something to do, says uh, this listener. Well, the local property taxes is collected and then it goes into a central pot and then it's divided up and it's sent out and it does pay for what the councils and the work that the council does so that's what you get from your local uh, property tax but there was a time when the councils had enough funding and had enough staff that they used to cut all the grasses in all of the estates but that no longer now is happening and even now even for the grass that they do, do still maintain they're getting contractors in because they don't have enough outdoor staff and you're not on your own. There are many local housing estates when the council, at one time the council probably did cut your grass and when the council stopped cutting it, it's like little estates, little uh, committees are being set up in housing estates and in areas. Something goes out and collects the money and contractors are, are brought in to cut the grass. And if you didn't do that, you could imagine the state that your green areas would be in. So it's good to see people having pride in their own area. As for local people, as for young people, could young people get involved and maybe start cutting the grass? I suppose that would be up to individual residents, associations and community groups to put the call out to young people. There, I, I certainly know and I've seen many young people getting involved in tidy towns groups, you often see, particularly if their parents are involved, you'll see young people out on a Saturday morning picking up rubbish, which I think is a fantastic thing to see young people do, doing. And I know whenever we talk with Clean Coasts in Ballinamona, they're a fantastic organisation and they 
they predominantly rely on young people and young school children uh, to go out and clean up the beaches and the amount of rubbish they collect on our beaches. So there are a lot of young people involved in that, that type of activities. And if it's something you want done in your own area, maybe you can get together. I don't know if you've got a residence association or something or start asking the local children, the local the young people if they have extra time. Some of them, of course, could be working. There's a lot of industry that is dependent on young students to prop up their workforce during the summer. So many of them could already be uh, working. Actually, just on that point, when I was away uh, last weekend, I heard from the, this isn't here in in Cork, this is in Tipperary. I heard of one local hotel. It's a big hotel in uh, in County Tipperary. And the manager there was saying that she dreads the end of the summer holidays because they are so reliant on the moment on secondary school students and college students for their workforce. And of course, these are young people who are taking a summer job and she just can't get uh, workforce. And so that's going to be a massive problem come September when the kids go back to school and the young people go back to college. 0818 and I'm sure that's reflected in the hotel business right across the country. 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Care support workers are wanted for Bandon and Clonakilty. Your email is jason.cook at cheshire.ie Fully qualified beauty therapist is wanted to work in charge of them. Please post your CV to Harmony and their address is Main Street, Rathgoggin Middle, Charleville. Experienced construction worker wanted for Blackpool in Cork. Now your own transport would be an advantage. Your contact, uh, send your CV please to tim at hamptonfrench.com. And the White Horse in Balancolic have a vacancy for a bar manager. You must have experience in a similar role. CVs, please, to careers at whitehorse.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now Cork University Hospital has installed tens of thousands of honeybees with the hope that this project will ease the fears of children who have suffered life-threatening reactions to bee or wasp stings. To find out more about the project, I'm joined by Dr. Anda Dumarescu, who is with UCC's Department of Paediatrics and she happens to be the lead beekeeper on this project. Good morning, Gianda. Good morning. You're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, take me back, how did this project come about? Um, so, this project was initiated a few years back by Professor Jonathan Hurrihan. He's an um, allergy consultant in paediatrics. And um, now we finalised the project this year and we managed to build a honey house on site and have the bees happily established in our our location there. Um, now, there are a few reasons why we went ahead with this pro- project. So one of them would be the one that everybody would uh, kind of uh, think of the environmental part. Everyone knows bee decline worldwide. Uh, secondly, um, it would be wonderful to have a program for kids um, to teach them about how bees can 
help uh, us and how bees are important and how to manage around the bees and to get them a little bit inside of the bees' life. And thirdly, um, the the research part, the medical part. So uh, honeybee venom allergy is potentially life-threatening anaphylaxis, we call this reaction. And basically, bee venom immunotherapy is the only available treatment there. So there's lots of lots of pl- of pluses to this project. And at CUH, would you treat many children with this life-threatening allergy reaction to bee stings or wasp stings? Yeah, we have. Uh, uh, I'm not an allergist myself, but I was told by my colleagues that we have about 20 kids that are um, having severe reactions to bee venom. So there will be large enough numbers, and there will be obviously many many more kids that have other allergies or have other conditions and they are very much afraid of insects. So these kids will hopefully be far less uh, afraid after they learn more about bees mm. and the role that they play in making our our garden grow and bring our 70% of our food on the table, isn't it? So uh, there are many, this is a door open to many opportunities I think. But you see a lot of people and are terrified of bees I was only, when I was teeing up that you were coming on the programme earlier I was talking about the fact I've got a family member who literally would jump out of a moving car if a bee came into the car Uh, why, can you understand why people have such a fear, I mean you're a beekeeper you don't don't fear them obviously Obviously, I'm not very comfortable if I'm one of them and one of them is upset. But if you are aware of what they look at, so basically the bees are 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 very hard working, busy as a bee, I guess. Yeah. So what they want, they want to survive. And they are here since dinosaur times. And how they survive is by adapting. So only the fact that they adapt their uh, sting in such a way that they can sting any other insect or in other other animals or so without dying, but they die when they sting us. They, only that they show us they don't want to die, yeah. <laughs> but they did not adapt because they don't feel we are as such a big threat. In saying this, obviously stings happen. Majority of the stings for insects are, I, I, are not from honeybees. There are 20,000 species of bees worldwide and wasps would be the ones that are more coming close to human. And only knowing little things like how they sense movement, how they love, you mentioned the car, they love to go where it's light. So they will go to to the window. So if you open the window, they will just go outside. They don't want to come to you. There's nothing, you're not looking like a flower, you know, you don't have a bullseye for them to go there. And if you don't wave your hands, they will not be threatened by you per se. Uh, little things, I think, that will educate the kids and hopefully they will manage to be less afraid and learn about the magical bees. They are am- amazing creatures. And the fact that the, they are so aware of their environment and so aware of how to live as a society because they are having certain rules that are uh, making them be alive now after that many millions of years. It's just fascinating. So only know little things, maybe that will help. Um, I don't know, even some of the kids be future beekeepers. Yeah, who knows? And and I see, I believe CCTV cameras have been installed at the entry points to the hive. Yeah. That must be uh, fascinating to watch. That 
be patinated. They are in the process to be installed, to be um, uh, uh, transmitted in the waiting room areas and in the pediatric wards. That would be amazing. And uh, even even when we go and inspect the hives, the kids can see how the bees are and how we take care of that. So not only that you can bring a child really close when you open a hive to show them, other kids can see and adults and their mm. parents and yeah, no, I, I think it would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it would be a fantastic um, educational tool. Have you yeah. also introduced pollinating gardens? I mean, obviously the bees yeah. need the pollinating gardens. Of yeah, of course. So part of the project, before we brought the bees, obviously we have to have... Um, beautiful house for them um, location-wise. So we had to level the ground and we planted wildflowers in the ground. We planted many, many of the, you know, the honeysuckles, the ones that climb everywhere and the bees love them, all the insects love them, but the bees especially. And we have apple trees and plum trees on the on site as well, lavender and sedum, many, many flowers they love. And actually, I'm so impressed how well maybe the weather helped this year. I don't know how well the white flowers is. It's like magical there. It's beautiful. Some of the people that um, came to our apiary uh, suggested to put some benches there. <laughs> yeah, so for people to sit and watch. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and just and sit and, sit yeah, and yeah. relax. So I, 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 can, I can hear in your voice how enthusiastic you are as a beekeeper. When, when did you and how did you develop your interest in beekeeping? Well, my grandpa had bees when I was young. So in the summertime when we went over, I would be around him. And he was an old style beekeeper. You know, he just had a veil over his head. And I had a veil over my head as a kid when we opened the hives. That was crazy looking back. Now we are all so protected. But I think in total, probably I got only one or two things in my hair when the bee got caught in my hair. Uh, he was very gentle and I, I learned to love the bees and obviously I love honey a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, I got my own bees a few years back and um, I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to do and you learn a lot. You learn a lot from them and you learn to respect them and to love them. Well done. And I saw a picture of you on the paper. You've introduced your, 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 oh, yeah. two, your two children <laughs> to it as well. So they're obviously yeah. the future, the future yeah. beekeepers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well yeah. done. <laughs> and of course, the obvious question, we do all love honey. What are you going to do with the CUH honey? We'll have lots and lots. <laughs> uh, if the weather will be good like this year so far. Um, so we have uh, all our honey, see you honey. Uh, see you honey, to, that's clever. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's smart, yeah. yeah. And uh, we are hoping to have it available for everybody in CUH. So probably initially we'll bring it in the canteen uh, for yeah. people to have it. Uh, and then we'll see. We'll, I, I didn't, we didn't think that far yeah well <laughs> done we'll, well, we'll, we'll, we'll have to think in a few in a year or two I don't know it's, it's, uh, is it a first for an Irish hospital to have bees as far as I know yeah as far as I know I'm not sure about that but I don't I I, I, I did not hear of any other hospital having bees on site okay and you worry as a beekeeper about the declining bee uh, population Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, there were some improvements with our increased efforts. So government and people planting more garden and more flowers. In the last few years, everybody made a bit of effort, less pesticides, I guess. 
um, building bee habitat. But there is there is a lot of habitat due to uh, how many cities we have versus wild uh, uh, areas due to pesticides, due to climate change. So in Ireland, there are about 30% of bees that are threatened with extinction. They are very big numbers there. And worldwide, I mean, um, how, uh, New Zealand uh, during lockdown lost more than half of their bees because the bees, beekeepers were in lockdown. They couldn't mind the bees as much and many were lost. Oh, uh, that's so sad. That. Uh, of the bees they had. So overall, definitely, there are there is a decline. But in saying this, I think if we work together, we can help them, and in helping them, we'll help us, I guess. Okay, somebody else wants to point out that bees love lilac flowers as well, if you want to put them. Actually, actually, we planted six lilacs. There you go, there you go. She's ahead of the game. You're ahead of the game. And Linda in Blarney uh, says, congratulations to CUH, thinks this is a fascinating project, has always loved the idea of keeping bees and wonders, is there a lot of work in maintaining a beehive? Well, I, I guess it, it is some work. Uh, there is a lot of support. I'm part of an um, association, Cork Beekeepers Club, and uh, we, we help each other. Now, in terms of how much you need to put uh, into it, uh, in the summertime, obviously, they are more active. So you kind of have to visit the bees and check how they are doing about 10 days, uh, every 10 days or so. In the winter time, you don't bother them at all because it's too cold outside. So you just mine them at the end of the summer and um, then they are they are okay to go for the winter until the, sum, the, the spring. Now, um, obviously, if there are signs they are not doing well, you will have to visit them more often sometimes. But it's not a lot. So we, we visit them kind of every 10 days or so. And you are not alone. This is an activity that is done by many other people around. And if Linda wants to, to be a beekeeper, I will be very happy to, to help her uh, be one of us. <laughs> you're very good. You're very, you're, you're very good. Listen, um, good, continue good luck with the project. I really do think thank it you. is uh, fascinating. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That bye. is uh, Dr. Uh, Anda Dimitrescu, who is with uh, UCC's Department of Pediatrics, but she is joining us in her capacity as the lead beekeeper on this project at Cork University uh, Hospital. And seeing as she's been talking about gardening, uh, don't forget today is Wednesday, so it does mean that uh, Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, will be joining us later on. So if you've got a gardening question, you could get those into us as well. Uh, 0818103103. Bernie's taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. My lovely horse rescue, the animal charity operating here in Cork and in the Leinster area, is renewing its appeal to the public to support their current fundraising raffle where you could win a house valued at more than €400,000. To discuss the raffle and the work of the charity, I'm joined by one of the co-founders of My Lovely Horse Rescue, and that is Martina Kenny. Good morning to you, Martina. Good morning, Patricia. You're... It's actually clear on today. Oh, Martina's a little sick. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And are you, are you, are you her sister, is it? 
No. Uh, I'm not, no. I'm no. one of the volunteers you're on one our main vo- farm. The volunteers. Claire, sorry. Sorry for that, uh, Claire. You're, oh, very, you're, you're very welcome. Now, it's vet bills that you're struggling with, uh, with uh, Claire. Are they some of your biggest costs every year? Absolutely. Here at the charity, um, we have over 750 animals in our care at the moment, and that number is increasing every day. They come in in a lot of different um, conditions, some very bad, and our vet bills are massive. We're over €105,000 um, in bills at the moment, and uh, this fundraiser is uh, going to go a long way to helping us with that. So the majority of horses would come in needing veterinary assistance, I take it almost immediately. Yeah, a lot of the horses and other animals, we have a lot of different types of animals here, come in in, in pretty bad shape um, and would probably be under veterinary care immediately and some for a long period of time. And do you do your best to uh, to bring the, the animals uh, back to leading as healthy a normal life as possible or do you sometimes have to make the decision to put them to, put them to sleep? Obviously here, we're all about giving the animals a life worth living here. Um, we would do everything possible. Money is not something that we discuss when it comes down to the animal's uh, life, um, etc. Um, we do have some terrible cases that come in and we have to step in and do the kind thing for the animal there, but only after we've discussed every possible avenue, if it would be possible to give it a nice life, then we will do that. Well, it's a heartbreaking decision, uh, certainly, to have to make. Did I also read, Claire, that you're trying to build additional stables? We are, yeah. We have a, a lot of a lot of plans for the future on our farms. Um, we are always very busy and always in need of stables and, and other facilities um, to bring in uh, more and more animals that are needing help every day. Um, so all monies that we're raising are going to build and, and the future in the farms. Do you get calls from the public about horses and animals in distress, or how do you locate where where these animals are? We have um, we're very much a volunteer led charity here, and uh, we have uh, a, a, a good following on Facebook, and we have a great website where people can fill in a form and get in touch with us. And the public does get in touch with us on a daily basis from all over the country, and also um, the Gardaí can be can give us a ring if, if they're concerned and. And, and, and other agencies, etc. But we get a lot, a lot of information from worried members of the public. I mean, tell me about the other animals. I mean, most people associate you with caring for horses, but you say other animals as well. Yes, yeah, so very much the charity started um, with the horses, um, hence the name. But uh, over the years, everyone is big animal lovers here, and and there's a big, there's a big. Um, worry for all animals across Ireland at the moment and we we opened my lovely pig rescue a couple of years ago we have over 90 pigs I believe at the moment and and donkeys and we have um cats and kittens and dogs and goats and 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 and, and I think last week we even had a couple of guinea pigs for a few days you know um you sound like you sound like Noah's Ark it is it is a bit yeah so all all animals are welcome with us. You know, we will always try to to do right by them, and the public's been really great in supporting us with that. Well done, well 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 done. Do you get any grant aids from the government, any of the various departments? Um, we do get a, a small grant from the Department of Agriculture every year. Our costs last year, I know, were up about four hundred thousand euro. 
I believe we got about 26,000 from them. So, um, so, so you to raise, okay, yeah, you know, it, it, it's worth saying those figures again. 400,000 was what it cost for the work that you did last Approxima- year. Approximately, yeah. And you so got 26,000 yeah. from the Department of Agriculture. So you to make up the rest either through donations or fundraising? Correct, yeah. Everything else comes through um, the public and fundraising and, and things like that. Yeah, that's right. It's a lot of money, a lot of money to, to have to, to raise. Hence the reason that we really want to push your uh, raffle. Now, you've got this. I saw the house online. There's gorgeous pictures that people want to go yeah. up on com. You can see the photographs of uh, the house. It's in Royal Canal Park in uh, Dublin and it's fully furnished. Uh, I don't know necessarily that it will be fully furnished, but the pictures there do have some furniture in, but you could definitely put your own style okay. on it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so tell me about the tickets, how they're selling and, and how much are they? So tickets are €23 Euros, um, for the three-bed townhouse in Dublin 15. People can buy them either by jumping on our website, mylovelyhorserescue.com, or through our Facebook page. There are links up there, and uh, there's constant information about how many tickets have been sold. If we don't reach all the tickets of being sold, um, at the moment, I believe the winner would get a minimum of €140,000 cash prize um, instead, and that is going up every day. Okay, but... 15 days to go. And when I last checked, I think there was about 20,000 tickets left. Yeah, something like that. So the plan is, if you can sell them all then the winner can get the house. And, and the winner will but, get the house. But the most important thing is, Claire, if you can sell them all, you will receive the maximum amount of money, which is what you need. €200,000, it yeah. would be amazing for us. Yeah. Biggest fundraiser we've done. Because the, the pandemic, and I've dealt with so many charities, uh, Claire, <coughs> uh, during uh, the pandemic, of course, funding for a lot of them grinded to a halt, particularly funding where you were out with the general public. I, was, were you affected by a, a slump in funding during the pandemic? Um, we were, you know, greatly. A lot of um, a lot of our big fundraisers were obviously cancelled due to COVID. And, you know, even you'd find us on Grafton Street on a nice weekend, you know, shaking buckets, all that kind of thing. It was really impacted. Um, a lot of the public did help us out a lot. They did some fundraisers at home and, and virtual walks and, and things like that which was which was really great um, but yeah a lot of our big fundraisers have were seriously impacted uh, in the last few years And you heavily rely on, on volunteers volunteers are, are, are great to work with you Yeah so we have at least 60 volunteers in the charity and they do a variety of work either on the farms in admin, um, monitoring messages for urgent calls you know transporting um, uh, maintenance, a whole host of things that everybody's kind of involved in, depending on the time they have to give, and um, and the charity we really couldn't do it without them. Do you do you fa- do you foster out horses and some of your other animals? We do have a big fostering and adoption program. Yeah, um, at the moment um, we are not targeting dogs, but we have a lot of dogs at the moment. We're looking for. Um, a lot of foster homes, especially in the Dublin Kildare area, but also horses and cats and kittens and and yeah, everything really. The the dog problem is is a huge issue, Claire, with people who took on dogs, isn't it, during the pandemic, and then suddenly life gets back to some kind of normality, and it's they it, they don't want the dogs anymore. I can never understand the rationale behind that. 
you know, we are officially struggling. We're we're currently building an area just to house dogs because we are inundated. Um, and we can't quite see the an end in it at the moment either. We've never seen anything like it. It's unprecedented. Shocking. And every other dog charity, I know Dogs Trust in Dublin, saying the very same thing and, and all of their any of the rescues anywhere here in Cork, anywhere around the country, all saying the same thing. It, it truly is uh, shocking. Everyone. Everyone, okay. yeah. and, uh, and so if anybody sees an animal in distress, particularly a horse, uh, Claire, you're saying reach out and contact your, your group? Absolutely, they can. They can get in touch. We have a, a form on our website that fills in or they can message us directly on Facebook. We also have all the numbers for all the agencies um, you know, um, on our website, the Department of Agriculture, you know, the DSPCA, everybody else um, as well. But they can drop us an instant message and um, we have people watching that a lot of the day and quite late into the evening. Okay. All right. Well, you're you're doing fantastic work and people can still get one of your tickets and who knows, ultimately win a gorgeous townhouse in Dublin. MyLovelyHorseRescue.com is where you can get the tickets, €23 Euro each. Uh, Claire, continue. Good luck to you and everybody involved uh, at the charity and uh, you do amazing work. Keep, keep it up and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much, Patricia. Good morning bye. to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Claire joining us from mylovelyhorserescue.com. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103 with a reminder that we're taking gardening questions as well because Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, will be joining us in the next uh, hour. And somebody says, Patricia, just to let you know for the listeners who are worried about passports and applying for a passport particularly if you're travelling and you just suddenly discover that your passport is out of date this listener says I applied for my passport online on Saturday evening I received it in the post this morning Wednesday morning that's from a Clonakilty listener what a great service and that I have to say and we have heard heard that time and time again if it's a straightforward renewal passport don't even consider doing it through the post because that's where the delays are if you're physically sending in the paperwork but that online service they certainly have got that right but it's my sympathy and my heart goes out to people who are applying for a a first passport particularly for a child if a baby was born um, or you need to get a child's passport that's where the delays seem to be but the straightforward renewal works extremely well so Saturday evening applied online and there you go it's in the post on Wednesday morning if you're going somewhere nice happy holidays to you and to anybody else going somewhere nice just to let you know that there they, there are no plans at the moment to introduce a cap on any flights in, out of Dublin airport and obviously this has become a topic of conversation because of what Heathrow did yesterday introducing a daily limit on departing passengers. Now Heathrow became the latest, not the first the latest major European airport to limit passenger numbers because the airport is struggling to cope with the surge in air travel following the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions. The London Hub uh, announced yesterday they're limiting the number of daily departing passengers to 100,000 and that will remain in place up to the 11th of uh, September. Now Heathrow said that they had started to see periods 
where service was dropping to a level that they say was simply not acceptable. There was very long queue times. There was delays for passengers, particularly those requiring assistance. Bags weren't travelling with passengers or else the bags were arriving late. The punctuality of the planes, uh, there was last minute cancellations and they just felt enough was enough. They weren't going to put up with the situation. So that's why they limited the the passenger numbers to 100,000 telling airlines stop selling tickets and obviously there will have to be flights cancelled for anything over the 100,000 but the DAA they operate Dublin Airport and are good selves here in uh, Cork they of course recently asked the Defence Force personnel to be on emergency standby in case security waiting times threatened to result in passengers missing flights. Now, security uh, queues at Dublin Airport have reduced since the chaotic scenes that was witnessed back in May. Uh, Passengers are still experiencing, though, huge delays, particularly in getting their uh, luggage and, of course, baggage handling services at Dublin Airport. They're always keen to point this out. They're provided by third-party uh, companies and by the airlines it's not by the DAA itself. Uh, so the DAA they've had two of its busiest uh, weeks since 2019 and they say they've handled more than 2.8 million travellers last month alone. They say delays at security is getting better uh, for they say three out of every four passengers pass through security in less than 30 minutes with a 93% uh, passing through in under uh, 45. But they are saying they're not going to cancel flights. And the DAA said that while other airports, Heathrow's just joined the other European airports to cancel, Dublin Airport have still avoided that action. Um, Now, there has been flights cancelled, but that's by the airlines. They're making the point that they they themselves haven't cancelled them. And they say thousands of families in the UK and other European countries have seen their holidays wiped out because of the flight uh, cancellations and they're proud of the fact that their staff have, have worked hard uh, to put effective contingency plans in place to ensure that Irish families heading away for the summer will get away. That's from Dublin Airport 0818 103 103. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in. I can see questions coming in for Peter Dowd. I'll keep those coming uh, please. Peter will be joining us later on in this hour. Bernie's taking calls with questions 0818 103 103 and texts and WhatsApp. So welcome to me here the studio 0862103103 and thank you to a huge number of people offering advice to our listener who I mentioned earlier who contacted us at the moment because she is absolutely plagued with flies with the windows and doors open she's doing everything that she can but she just can't get rid of the flies and she, you know I was making the point you're not on your own a lot of other households will be experiencing the same thing and she said would any of the listeners have any solutions on how to get rid of the fly flies and I mentioned the old flash fashioned fly catchers that sticky paper that you roll out and hang up on the ceiling it looks disgusting taking it down because obviously all the flies are dead and stuck to it but I didn't even know if you could still purchase them Michael says Patricia uh, just to let you know yes those fly catchers fly papers are still available and they are the most effective way to get rid of flies Michael says you can get them in any of the pound shops the discount stores and he's also seen them available in some supermarkets so they are worth a try but I did make the point not everybody likes those fly catchers things it's just the taking down of them sort of makes my skin crawl Mary Amada says I'm in the very same problem as that woman who messaged you earlier with flies I've done everything now I've been told lately that basil and mint herb plants to leave them on the windowsill 
and a mixture of lavender oil in a spray bottle and spray it, all, spray it into all of the rooms. Do it about three times a day. I'm starting to do that and I'm hoping it works. Let me know, would you please, Mary? Because a whole host of people are saying similar. For example, somebody says, Patricia, you can get a pot of basil, fresh basil or mint plant. Get them in most uh, supermarkets. They're relatively cheap. Keep them on the uh, windowsill. Hi, Patricia. My cat Jenny is brilliant at catching flies. I don't have a single fly in my kitchen, says Jackie in Two Pot House. So everybody needs to get a cat called uh, Jenny. Hi, Patricia. For flies, tell the listeners to start buying basil plant or mint. They don't like the smell of them. Hi, Patricia. The fly problem. My grandparents used to put fresh nettles over the back door or the front door. It keeps the flies out. It seems the scent from the nettles stops the flies from coming into the house. You can also get flower stickers. You place them on the windows and they work like the fly killer stickers. You get them in four homes or any home and hardware store. So do I assume like the fly paper I'm talking about, it sticks to them. Is that what happens? But then you have to peel them off. Anyway, I'll keep a lookout for that. I have to come across that one uh, before. Hi, Patricia. Hope you're keeping well. To keep flies out of uh, the kitchen, I always make sure that there's no food lying around. I keep the fan on for most of the day. That keeps the flies out. And I heard last week about the pot of basil. Leave a pot of basil in the room. It really does work to keep the flies uh, out because flies can stand the smell of basil. Well, don't you learn something new every day? I ruffled the basil leaves with my fingers once in a while because that leaves off the stronger smell. The basil, by the way, has to stand in water. Otherwise, it'll wilt almost straight away. I'll, yeah, and I love fresh basil. I just love this time of year and a pot of fresh basil and tomatoes. And you just, I, lo- I love the smell of it. I love the taste of basil. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of always having some fresh basil on the windowsill. I didn't realise at the same time it's helping to keep the flies out. So there's one for everybody to try. So good luck to the listener who seems to be demented at the moment, God help her, with the flies. And, she's, and she certainly is not having any food lying around and she is endlessly cleaning and washing all the surfaces because she feels the flies are landing uh, everywhere but it's just it isn't a part and parcel with the warm weather we're experiencing at the moment and nobody wants rid of the warm dry uh, weather long may it last I hear you cry Tom in Bantry says on grass cutting and this came up in the last hour about the council cutting the grass and they cut the grass and they don't cut the grass in other areas and uh, private housing estates have to get together form a little residence association collect money from all the neighbours and get the grass cut that way. Tom says he lives in a council estate in Bantry. He says the residents once upon a time used to look after the grass themselves, did all of the cutting, the weeding and all of that. And then he said a few years ago the council came around and said sorry now folks, due to health and safety you're not allowed to cut that grass anymore and now instead the council have to pay for contractors to come in and do it. Doesn't that seem crazy? And yet it's the same council who a number of years ago went into private estates where they were they had taken over the care of the grass and said sorry due to costs we're not going to be able to cut your grass anymore to hell with the health and safety side of it and uh, they're allowing the private owners of housing estates to cut the grass at themselves but yeah I suppose they're uh, the litigious society in which we live and people sue for the smallest thing I suppose they're afraid that if people living in a council estate went out and cut their own grass and an accident happened or somebody cut their finger or cut their foot or whatever whilst cutting the council owned grass 
would they be afraid of being taken to court? And maybe they have been taken to court. I'm, I'm assuming if they've quoted health and safety, then it's the legal department saying we're going to leave ourselves wide open to getting sued. And of course, when people take those cases, everybody, uh, it's everybody suffers because everybody has to pay more in their premiums. Thank you uh, for your call. Uh, to 0818103103 and thanks to Kathleen who just gave a call to say that she really enjoyed my chat with Claire from the My Lovely Horse uh, Rescue. We're glad to give that particular charity a mention because they do absolutely Trojan work and if my memory serves me right and, and I meant to ask Claire but I just didn't get around to it I'm sure during the during the pandemic they were so inundated with neglected horses and getting calls to go and collect neglected horses that they had, there was no more room at the inn. They literally had to stop taking in uh, animals that were in need of care. And any animal rescue will tell you that is the last thing that anyone, any animal rescue wants to do is to turn a turn around and say we cannot help an animal that's in distress because it's the, 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 the nature of the work that they do. They always want to take in the most neglected of animals and they do their best to try to bring them back to full health and to let them have as good a life as they possibly can. So to be have to say no, and that's one of the reasons that my lovely horse rescue are trying to build these extra stables as well. Once they get a handle on their vet bills uh, they're hoping to build extra stables because the demand is so uh, great. Animal cruelty, I can, I just can never understand it. I can never understand the logic of somebody that would would try to harm a dumb animal. I just can never understand it. I just cannot. It's not in my psyche at all. 0818 103 103. Jenny has been on to us because poor old Jenny is trying to book a hotel room in Dublin. Herself and her husband are going to a wedding and she said the prices she has been quoted are absolutely crazy. She's wondering what are other people doing if they need to stay an overnight stay in the capital? Is there any other way around? Where else can she stay? I don't know if you've, I know I've never used Airbnb, but I have family members who swear by it and think it's great. Have you tried Airbnb or, or is it just a particularly busy weekend? Because I did read in the papers today that the Galway and the Kerry GAA fans are going are paying hundreds of euro more for their hotel rooms in Dublin for the All Ireland final for the football final than the hurling fans who will travel up from Kilkenny and Limerick for the All Ireland for their All Ireland final weekend and there seems to be a huge difference between the the two weekends this weekend it's Kilkenny taking on Limerick in the All-Ireland Hurling final. And then Kerry are playing Galway the following weekend, isn't it? Sunday the 24th of July. And the Irish Independent today did a price analysis survey just to see what's going on with hotel prices in Dublin across just those two weekends. And they found that some hotels in the capital are charging a family of four up to €300 more for a two-night stay on the All-Ireland football final weekend, but the cost to the hurling fans is even higher. The price of a room for two for two nights this Saturday and Sunday in the Gresham Hotel in O'Connell Street is €738. But if you go the following weekend, it jumps to €868. So well over €100 more just between the two weekends. Jury's Inn, which is nearby on Parnell Street, they've got rooms for 475 for this weekend. But wait for this. It jumps to 660 
for the following weekend. And of course, it isn't just the football and the hurling fans who are being made to suffer as a result of the extra financial outlay because already Kilkenny GAA have revealed that because of the spiralling hotel costs, the Kilkenny team and all the backroom staff will be returning home after Sunday's All-Ireland Hurling final whether they win, lose or draw. The senior hurling team have had to forgo their usual All-Ireland final banquet. They normally have it in the City West Hotel, but of course they have, they weren't able to book the City West Hotel this year because this year the City West has been used to house Ukrainian refugees. And then officials say they did look around, but staying elsewhere would literally have cost them a fortune. They say that they're lucky enough to get bedrooms back in Kilkenny City all in the one place at a reasonable price. So they're just going to put the players in the backroom squad back on the bus and they'll bus them back to Kilkenny and they'll have their night in Kilkenny instead. And the reigning All-Ireland champions at Limerick. Now they have booked a hotel. They're going to stay in the Clayton Burlington Hotel in Balls uh, Bridge. But double rooms for fans who want to stay there on Saturday and Sunday night are selling at €528. Uh, so the Irish Independent did a survey of 14 rooms available on booking.com and they have found huge price surges in the costs of multi-occupancy rooms. This would be a family of four. Um, on average, €1,172 Euro for a little family of four to get away for a two-night stay this weekend. And they have, in the papers today, they go through all kinds of different um, prices for that family. And, you know, they go up to prices like €2,018 Euro for the weekend of the hurling fa- final if a mum and a dad wanted to bring two of their children. Just absolutely uh, crazy prices. And Last weekend, actually, the GAA uh, President Larry McCarthy acknowledged that the expense facing fans and players who needed to stay in Dublin, he described it as being simply outrageous. He added that the GAA could, now I don't know if they're going to, could assist counties finding it difficult to find accommodation in Dublin for games for Croke Park. He says the cost of living is a concern for everyone. But he said if the teams are overnighting in Dublin, it's an outrageous cost. And he said we'll have to see what we can do. But obviously if the Kilkenny team have decided, well, we're not going to pay those exorbitant uh, prices. We're going to come back to Kilkenny instead. I take it from that that the the GAA haven't offered our head office haven't reached out and said look we'll cover part of the cost uh, for you so it's just it's not just the GAA fans the teams are being affected as well and then you've got somebody like uh, our our Jenny and her husband who needs to go to a wedding that happens to be on one of those uh, weekends and finding it absolutely astronomically uh, high I mean you could really Jenny have a problem because it is all Ireland final week it's always hard to get hotels on those particular uh, weekends but is there any alternative even outside of those weekends hotel prices in Dublin have really gone off the Richter scale your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 
103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Kildallery at Lotto, their next draw will take place tomorrow night, four o'clock in the afternoon. That's in the community community office. Their jackpot this week is €4,300. There'll be a Kaylee in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic. That's on Friday night from 9.30 to 12.30. Music is by Jerry McCarthy and admission €10 including teas. And there's bingo on this Friday night in both Mallow and in Kildallery. In Mallow it's at the GAA Complex 8.15, jackpot of €1,900. And in Kildallery they're in the old Creamery Yard at 8 o'clock and they still have that option to play inside or outside in your car with a jackpot of €500. And the 10th anniversary gala fundraising social dance for Marymount Hospice will take place in the Fergus Hotel in Mitchellstown next Monday night, the 18th of July. Music by Peter Burke with special guests Art Supple and Bachelors in Trouble. Dancing will be from half eight next Monday. There will be a raffle and light refreshments will be served with your admission charge, 10 euro. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. And Angeline Enniskeen was on to say she took a train to Dublin on the 20th of, uh, 2nd of July, sorry, from Cork. Uh, it was a match weekend. She said the train was absolutely packed. But what really got to Angela was nobody was wearing a mask. And she wants to know, is it still a rule that you wear a mask on public transport? No, that got lifted a number of uh, weeks ago. What they suggest is they're suggesting that people still wear masks. So actually, we're running the ads. I think I heard one of the ads earlier this morning suggesting to people that you're mindful of other people that may be travelling on the train or the bus. I mean, one of the ads is to do with the train from Dublin to Cork and it says stopping in, in Mallow and it says Catherine in seat 11A is starting chemotherapy next week. You know, that you just never know are you on a train or a bus with somebody who's immune compromised and will be very vulnerable uh, to picking up uh, something like COVID-19 and I mean, nobody you would like to think that nobody would deliberately get on a bus or a train or would go out publicly if they had COVID-19 but unfortunately there are people who have it and don't even realise they have it and then you'll always have irresponsible people who don't just don't care about anybody else so yes the suggestion uh, is in the ideal world you would wear a mask particularly if you have any kind of a sniffle but no it isn't compulsory to wear a mask on uh, public uh, transport and someone else was on if I can find it here this is Anne thank you Anne this is for Jennifer who's trying to get accommodation in Dublin for a wedding and just finding the prices absolutely astronomical Anne says hi uh, Patricia re Dublin accommodation Uh, try all Hallows accommodation in Drumcondra I stayed there it was really really good it's university accommodation thanking you says Anne now Sounds fantastic, but I'm wondering, a lot of student accommodation has been taken up with the Ukrainian refugees because we've mentioned this on the programme they're going to have a problem with housing Ukrainian refugees from around the middle of August because all of the ones that are staying in student accommodation will have to vacate the student accommodation because obviously the third level students will be starting to come back from the middle of August so I don't know if that accommodation is one of the student accommodations that's been used but if it isn't it certainly is worth a try thank you for that Hi Patricia between Houston Station and O'Connell Street there's five 
five hells being built. Will this stop the high prices for accommodation? I doubt it, says this uh, texter who says there is one hotel clerks in O'Connor Street. There's another hotel opposite M&S on Liffey Street. They're building another hotel in the former motor tax office in Chancery Street. The Irish distillery building in Smithfield has been turned into a hotel and there's two more from uh, from Smithfield's to Park Gate. So well, you, you would like to think that the more hotels they have, wouldn't you? You would like to think the more hotels that they have that would bring down the price because it's just it's when you get a weekend like the two weekends that are coming up, the, all, the hurling final and the football final, they... I, I can never understand just because there's a demand there it happens if there's a, a big concert going on the prices suddenly jump up I, you know I can't understand if your hotel is full it's full why should it be cheaper on a weekend that there's less demand I can you know because you're going to be guaranteed that your hotel is full wouldn't you think it would be the other way they'd actually be able to give you some money off on the weekends that they're guaranteed that every single bed is going to have somebody in it. 0818 103 103. Jay says, Patricia, I wonder if there's any chance that the council could pull the rag worth on the side of the roads. It's disgraceful on some of our roads. I passed up in particular from the Jack Lynch Tunnel to Watergrass Hill last Sunday and it's a disgrace to see the amount of rag worth. And this, uh, you have to remember that this is a poisonous weed and it's growing away on the side of our roads. It's also a killer for horses, says uh, Jay. Something needs to be done about the scourge of Ragworth on our roads. Thank you for that. And also, they, oh, before I get to this clarification, there is, let me look at, there's still people coming in on the, on the catching of the flies. Hi, uh, Patricia, those fly catchers you're talking about, you can get them in any centra shops. I purchased them recently in the Centra in Donorail. Thank you for that. And Sheila says, Patricia, citronella oil is great to keep flies and indeed any other creepy crawlies away. You just wipe the citron, put the citronella oil onto a cloth and wipe it along the windowsills, etc. Or you can put a bit in an oil burner and just let it burn away and it makes the house smell nice as well at the same time, says Sheila. There's another nice suggestion and I like the idea of the house smelling nicely. And hi Patricia, I have a message for Jennifer who's trying to get accommodation in Dublin for the wedding and she's finding it very expensive. Tell her to take a rain check and uh, maybe they could put the ceremony up on FaceTime and she could watch it online. See, there'd be maybe her husband would be happy to hear her taking a rain check. A lot of us females, we love the weddings and it doesn't always go that the men like to attend uh, the weddings. But if, it, if it's too expensive, she may have to take a, a rain check. Thank you for your text to 86 Now, last week, the week before, we had a couple of comments in from listeners who say that they didn't get the full €200 Euro in their electricity credit, which was given by the government. And I was saying that can't be the case. Check your bill. It's got to be on your bill. And if you work it out there's so much in electricity and so much in VAT and it should all add up to at least 200 euro and in some cases I think mine came out at 207 euro 200 euro and seven cent it might have been just over but I was saying no you're, you're definitely entitled to the 200 euro well it seems that our 
eagle-eyed listeners who copped it on their own bills. You're not on your own. And there's large numbers of householders are claiming that they've been shortchanged by whatever energy provider they're uh, with. The energy regulator has now come out and confirmed, yes, that they have received a number of complaints about the uh, uh, issue. And it seems that some householders are only receiving €192.08 credit rather than the full €200 credit. Now, the €200 credit, for those that did get it, it turned up on your bill as €176.22. That's what the credit line was. But the full discount was €200 when you factored the VAT in. But... That at the start of the year on fuel bills was at 13.5%. But in another bid to try to help struggling householders, the government decided that the VAT on energy bills was going to be cut. And from the start of May, they brought it down from 13.5% to 9%. So customers say that the bills that were issued after the 1st of May then had the lower VAT rate applied to the government credit even though people pointed out that their billing period was largely up in May. And that is the, and they're annoyed that some of the energy suppliers then delayed issuing the bills in April to take account of the lower VAT rate. They say it's unfair. It's left them shortchanged at a time when ele- electricity prices has shot up by 50%. Uh, so because the, the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities, the CRU, because they got complaints... They looked into it and they accepted that the reason was down to the lower VAT rate. And while they say that you you may be seeing less on your bill, you do benefit from the reduced VAT rate on the overall energy bill. And a number of consumers have complained that applying the lower rate to the credit was simply unfair. So, so you, you're still getting the lower rate, but people are saying, look, we've been shortchanged. We should have got €200 Euro and we didn't. We got €192 Euro instead. So for those people that noticed it, it's down to the fact that the VAT rate is actually lower. You still get the full amount of the electricity credit, which was €176. Euro and 22 cent. It was the VAT on top of that that you're paying less on. But that is the reason why uh, people got only 192.08 compared to people who got the full 200 euro. And the energy regulator is not doing anything else about it because he said it's there in black and white. That's what happened. It's because some of the utility providers, including Electric Ireland, instead of issuing the bills that they normally issue at the end of April, they held back and issued it in May instead. And they said they did that for the reason that the VAT rate was going to be lower, but it caught the people who hadn't already received their €200 Euro, uh, credit from the government. 0818 103 103. Let's take a break and let's get your gardening questions answered by Peter Dowdle. There still is time for you to get a gardening question into us, either into Bernie by phone 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. And Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining us on this Wednesday afternoon with the sun beginning to shine. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Can you hear me, Peter? He's there. Trisha, how are yeah, you? you're breaking up. You're, you're fine now. Yeah, perfect. Uh, good afternoon to you and you're very welcome. Uh, lovely weather and even hotter weather expected 
next weekend and across next week that very warm I mean 30 degrees they're talking about for Sunday and Monday that could cause problems in the gardens couldn't it? Okay. I wasn't here last week Trish as you know and if you remember two weeks ago when we were dancing amongst the raindrops I said we're in for a long dry spell hopefully and here it is here it is so we, 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 we won't we won't be grudging it is going to put gardens under stress if it hits 30 degrees for any length of time Okay, but we just have to have to wait and see and just we want we want nice warm weather for sure, but not 30 degrees. Anyway, let's get straight into uh, questions. Now, I sent you on a picture that uh, Pat and Maddow sent on uh, and I forwarded on to you and uh, with the question. Hi, Trish, could you ask Peter, when is it okay to remove eco netting from carrots that are fairly well matured at this stage? Well, uh, what what he has he has up uh, netting to to stop obviously the carrot root fly and what happens with the carrot fly is the, the it's not the fly that causes the damage but it's the larvae uh, so the the flies they 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 lay their eggs if you like at the soil surface just next to the carrot and then the the, the as they hatch they burrow through the carrot causing these tunnels and damage and that's why you put up this fleece or this very very fine netting to stop the flies getting in the the, the answer to the question I'm afraid is I wouldn't remove the netting no matter how mature the carrots are until I'm harvesting them you know the later you leave carrots sowing like carrots if you sow them very early they're particularly vulnerable to attack uh, so the later you leave it you you will miss the first kind of crop of the carrot fly uh, if if you don't sow them till end of May, early June, but then the the the, the life cycle starts again around July, August. So really, I'd leave the netting on unless you're you're weeding them or when you're harvesting them. Okay, hi, uh, Peter. Can I cut back lupins and Saint Anthony's lily now? That's from Teresa. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I well, I cut my lupins back a few weeks ago when the flowers finished. You can you can leave the dead flower spikes there and collect the seed. Just let the seed pods and collect the seed if you want but if not then prune it back don't prune it back to ground level but you could prune it back into the foliage um, and you probably will and I'm hopeful that we'll get a, a second flush of flowers it won't be anything like the first flush but you might get a few a few um, a few more looping blooms later in the season so do yeah, I would cut them back and the same with the St. Anthony's Lily you won't get a second flush of flowers and Okay, our, the phone line is just playing up like mad. Try not, to, try just try not to move too much, uh, Peter. Uh, an email in from Anne. Okay. Yeah, you're okay. Just, uh, just it's, it's when you. I think is there any kind of movement? We seem to lose the line. Anyway, here's an email in from Anne. My apple trees, two of them in different parts of my small garden, uh, come out in beautiful blossoms, and they have been doing for the last two years. They then form beautiful apples, which grow to a size of about three centimeters. Then they start to rot on the branches. Is there any way to keep them or do I have to start again from scratch? The apple trees are about 13 years old. No, I tell you what, uh, Bernie, I w- the best thing we can do is if we get uh, Peter just on the old fashioned phone line uh, and uh, it uh, hopefully will uh, be better for us because that is just not working. And I know it gets very frustrating uh, for listeners who are trying to listen and it uh, and we keep losing the call. So let's see if we can get um, 
can we get Peter back on the line because I can see lots of questions coming in because lots of people are out and about in the garden and trying to enjoy the garden and trying to get sorted out and Bernie is there he ha- she has Peter for me sorry about that Peter that system is just not working for us you, can you hear me okay now? Yeah hopefully okay. that's better now Now the apple trees I don't know if you heard the question two different parts of the garden beautiful blossoms they form beautiful apples to about three centimetres then they start to rot on the branches is there any way to keep them or does Anne need to start from scratch the apple trees are about 13 years old it's hard to give a definitive answer to this Trish without seeing the apple trees um, so depending where Anne is I guess get someone up to have a look at them either a horticulturist who knows their stuff or a good gardener or maybe a tree surgeon but somebody who knows their stuff because that's some kind of I imagine a fungal infection that's getting at the apples but it could be it could be canker so is the vague or the, the the not definite answer to her question is uh, I don't know whether she'll have to start again. See if it's if it's canker and if it's on the main stem, then yes, I'm afraid that the trees are more or less finished. But it could be several other infections as well, which could be treatable. So I would say, in the first instance, as I say, do try and get somebody to have a look at them. But failing that, or if you can't, uh, in November, October, November this year, give them a good hard pruning. Prune them quite hard to remove any diseased material that's there. You can look for canker yourself, of course. It's it's this kind of. Um, in fact, I suppose a quick search online for images of, of apple canker will show you exactly what you're looking for. It's like a, a gnarled kind of growth where the bark is splitting. Um, so if you see that canker, prune as much of it off as possible. And, you know, hygiene is very, very important when you're dealing with these infections, Trish. And obviously over the last few years, we're all, we have all become uh, experts at disease control. So in the garden, you do need to sterilise and sanitise, if you like, your secateurs between prunings. You don't want to be spreading the disease from one tree to another. So that's very, very important. Prune off as much of the infected growth as possible. Um, so prune it in November. And next spring, just before that tree comes back into leaf, I would drench the root ball and the whole tree with our, our trees with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water. Uh, and that will hopefully prevent uh, it getting reinfected next year. But as I say, it could be canker and it could be on the main stem, in which case, uh, you know, yeah. that's not going to work, unfortunately. You're going to have to start again. And actually, Anna, a second question on her email. Her indoor orchid is flowering for the second time. Happy days. She thinks it's great. Should I cut off the top two branches which have flowered already, Anne is wondering? Yes, I would. You, you, if the flowers have died off, then cut them back. But I actually put up a video on my own Facebook page last week on just how to prune a, a cutback an orchid after flowering. So have a look at that if you're on Facebook. It's the Irish Gardener. Um, but if you're not, what, what you do is you, you the flower that the flowering stem that has flowered, if you come back down the stem, if you can imagine, uh, until you see a node. And a node on a flower stem of an orchid, it, it kind of just looks like... Um, nearly a little bandage halfway up the stem so you just want to cut to that node don't remove the whole stem uh, and then that node will produce another flowering stem quite quickly well when I say quite quickly within a, a couple of months Mary in Mallow has just picked her gooseberries well done Mary she wants to know is now a good time to take cuttings from the gooseberry bush and what is the best way to trim it back uh, I wouldn't be too worried about trimming it back right now, but you could take a few cuttings from it. You could take these, what's called semi-ripe cuttings to, to you and I, a, a slip, Patricia. Uh, so uh, you, you want about four inches of this year's growth, so about pencil thickness this year's growth. Again, the, the, the magic word is the node. So you want the base of the cutting to be at a node, which in this case is where a leaf meets the stem. Uh, that's the base of your cutting. You want to leave... Uh, 
just about four inches and at the top whether you have one or two more nodes in the cutting but the top of the cutting should also be a node uh, so leave one pair of leaves at the top of your cutting um, remove what we call the terminal bud which is the kind of growing tip if you like remove that leave one pair of leaves uh, put the base of the cutting into a small bit of rooting powder uh, and then into some compost uh, and keep it damp without being overly wet if it's too wet obviously it'll just rot it but it doesn't want to be bone dry either so do keep it damp um, the other way you would do gooseberries by, is by hardwood cutting later on in the winter but but try it that way now and you know if you take 10 or 12 cuttings you might not be 100% successful but you probably get will get a few of them to root away if you are right Thomas in Castletown Roach wonders how can he overwinter his dahlia plants uh, can they just be left in the containers no that, 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 that's a question for me being a lazy gardener I leave <laughs> mine out I do leave mine out from year to year um, and you know, nine years out of ten, they'll definitely come back again. The, the problem with, with our winters, as we all know, Trish, is not so much that they get too cold, uh, but there's just the, the, the amount of moisture in the, in the soil during the winter. That's what they don't like. So I would put a good bit of grit. Now, if he says they're in containers, they're probably going to be well-drained anyway, and he probably will be safe enough. Um, but if you're planting them in the open ground, put a good bit of grit or, or horticultural sand underneath the dahlia tuber to, to keep draw moisture away from the tuber during the winter. On saying all that, the textbook answer is no, you should actually lift them and store them uh, somewhere cool and dry over the winter and plant them out again next spring. But as I say, I'm, I'm a lazy gardener. And I, I can't be doing with all that. Patrick is in the city. He has a small tunnel in his back garden. Now, he planted a pumpkin. It has grown very long and is putting down more roots. So now it's too late to put it outside. Could you ask Peter, is it likely to survive inside in the tunnel and how long will it grow? Should he pinch out the growing tip of a pumpkin? Well, yes, it will, they, you, it will absolutely grow away indoors long term, no problem, and it'll come to fruit there. And you, provided you keep it well watered, of course, particularly over the next five or six days, Trish, but, but throughout the summer indoors, you're going to have to keep it watered. Um, pinch out the growing tip when it's got long enough for you, if you like. So how long will it keep growing? How long is it, literally, how long is a piece of string? So when, when, it, when you're happy with the length of it, pinch out the growing tip uh, and you'll get the pumpkins coming along the side shoots then. Um, but yeah, it should be fine, absolutely fine inside for the, for the whole summer. Enjoy. Tess in the city, can she put a courgette plant outside now that the weather is getting warmer? She's growing it in a large container. Yes, absolutely, no problem. It could, it could be out, it could be out well out by now it could be out really since kind of middle of May end of May but now particularly with the, the very warm temperatures I would have it outside definitely and again 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 keep it well watered Joe, it, It's fantastic to see so many people sending in questions about growing food I think it's, it's brilliant uh, Tim in Formoy wants to know why his tomatoes are going black on the bottom they're in a poly tunnel it could be it could be a calcium deficiency. I need to double check it, but it could well be calcium deficiency, which which just means that the, the tomato itself isn't getting enough calcium, and it's leading to this this rot of the tomato. Uh, I suspect that's what it is. I, I give it a good tomato food uh, would be my advice because that should have enough nutrients in it. But the ones that ha- have gone black at the bottom, I would pinch off uh, and uh, to repair themselves. Give it a good tomato food, maybe the Nature Safe tomato food, the Irish one that's enriched with the the, the seaweed from Galway. Um, Feed it with that uh, and basically just hope for the best then at that point. Another listener says, is it too late to set potatoes? I've got lots of seed potatoes. Again, the textbook answer would say yes, but I would say nothing ventured, nothing gained. If you have them, it's either that or throw them out. So I would plant them definitely. You'll probably, probably end up depending if they're if they're main crop or early's. But uh, but uh, if you plant them now, where are we? Middle of July, 
yeah, you, I'd say you'd be just yeah. harvesting them Plant later away. in the year, late autumn, yeah. Plant yeah. away. Hi, uh, Peter, I'm just wondering. I have an area with wild grasses and a flower mix for bees. I'm wondering what happens when it comes to autumn. Do I cut it or do I just leave it be? No, I would cut it, definitely. And anyone who has it, it's brilliant to see so many people have done this and are continuing to do this, either letting an area go wild or setting some wildflowers themselves. Um, because obviously it's hugely important to, to maintain species. So in the autumn, this is a kind of general rule of thumb for all of them. Some some areas will be more specific, but to give you a general answer uh, in this instance, I would say in the autumn, September, October, whenever all those flowers are kind of finished, so that will be a bit weather dependent and temperature dependent, but sometimes towards the end of September, early October, strim that level either by hand with a shears or with a strimmer, strim, strim it down to within a few inches of soil level Leave the trimmings on the ground, Trish, because you want the seeds in those dead flowers to go back into the soil. So leave the trimmings on the ground, uh, but only for a few weeks, because whilst you want the seed to go back, if you let the trimmings on the ground long term, it's going to lead to poor enough growing conditions. It'll get quite damp and, and fungal. So leave them on the ground for a few weeks so that the seeds will disperse back into the soil, but then rake them up after a couple of weeks into the compost bin. But in answer to the question, yes, do trim it to, at the end of the year. I was in Clamell at the weekend, and I have to say the roundabouts, Clamell has loads of roundabouts on their bypass. It certainly does. <laughs> and it is magnificent what Tipperary County Council have done. They've set all of the roundabouts with wild flower seeds and they're just awash with colour. They're spectacular. I meant I to actually up. email to Tipperary County Council to say well done. It was lovely to see it. And you know what? We should. All of us should when we see things like that. We're always criticising but we should compliment as well because I was in Camel last year doing some work for Bulmers with their orchard and they were just starting the, the wildflowers around the place and another place that is really, really good is around Wa- in County Waterford around Dungarvan and places like this. They do a great Great, great to job. see it. But I'm, gl- I'm glad to see as well Cork City Council um, there's still room for improvement, obviously, but they, I've seen some brilliant public planting in, in Cork City Council areas as well. And some of the local tidy towns are doing it as well. They're terrific. Yeah. OK, Helen wants to know, can she cut back uh, Magnolia Susan? It had layered itself and gotten very wide and it's growing out onto the driveway. Well, yes, you can cut it back. And I suppose in a situation like that where something is, is growing uh, in, into a driveway or causing an obstruction, you kind of have to prune it back. So, uh it's fine to do it now. It's probably gone a bit late. And why I say that is because magnolias will set their flower buds for next spring during kind of end, mid, middle end of July through to September, that period. So by pruning it now, you may end up sacrificing some flowers for next year, but you're certainly not going to harm the plant. Uh, so I would prune it back. But just bear in mind when you're pruning something back, now obviously I can't see this magnolia, but if you just need to prune back one side of it that's interfering with the driveway, you'd probably be better aesthetically to, to do it all over to prune the other side as well so it doesn't look all nice and wide on one side and then a straight line cut on the other if you know what I mean mm. so cut it it's a bit like a haircut you know you wouldn't just cut one side but, um, <laughs> um, uh, just get the razor yeah. get the razor blade three all around <laughs> Hi uh, Peter my tomato plants have lots of flowers well done but the leaves are gone slightly black is it blight <coughs> or what can I do or what could be causing it Again, now, without seeing it, I couldn't be 100%, but it's very possibly blight, I'm afraid. That is the bad news. Um, uh, but equally, it could be drought. It could be that they dried out. So if they dried out, just keep watering. And watering with tomatoes is, is quite important and it's quite a fine line uh, in that you you don't want what we call erratic watering. Uh, if what I mean by that is you don't want to drown it on a Monday and then don't water it for another four or five days and drown it again. You need to water it more consistently a bit every day to keep it keep it damp but again not too wet um, 
unfortunately without seeing it, I couldn't say for certain. It, it, it may be blight. I'd say in the first instance, certainly cut off, just get a scissors and cut off every leaf that has any bit of black on it and throw it out. Uh, don't put it in the compost bin, put it into the, the, the landfill bin um, and and see, it. hopefully, if it's just drought damage and you keep well keep it well watered, you shouldn't see it again. If you do see it again, it, it's a problem. Okay, and uh, a final one from, do I cut back camellias, rhododendrons and pyrrhus now? and feed them? If so, what do I feed them with? Okay, well, exactly the same answer, Trish, is what I gave for the magnolia. They, they all set, those, those, those spring flowering ones, all set their flower buds over the next couple of months for the spring. So cutting it back now is fine. You may It's kind of a bit late, so you may end up sacrificing some, some of next year's flowers, but you're certainly not going to harm the plants, so don't worry. You can cut away now. Um, feeding them is two-pronged with all of those three plants. So you want to feed them over the next month or two with with a good quality tomato food or sulfate of potash to promote flower bud production. And you may need to feed them with an acid plant food, which is basically sequestered iron, just to keep them a good, healthy green. But you could give them both of that now. Okay. And are you busy? Is this a busy time for you? Oh, for, for, with the weather like this, we are. But you know what? I'll be busy making sure my own garden is well mulched and, and watered. Mm. And uh, on Sunday, just very briefly, if I may, John Terry is the last of the open gardens for the hospice for Marymount been a tremendous success this year Brilliant. the hospice open gardens and on Thursday uh, down in East Cork uh, John Terry you'll find a lot more information on the Marymount Hospice website okay. but this is a garden well well worth seeing Alright thank you for that have a lovely week we'll chat next Wednesday Thanks, Thanks Peter that's Peter Dowdle the irishgardener.com That's where I leave you for today my thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you for Thursday's edition of the programme tomorrow morning at 10 which then I'm Patricia Messenger very good A lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states Learn more at UH1.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.